All right, well, good morning, Anthem. Yeah, as Matt said, I'm Chris. I had the privilege to move into the SALT director position, which I'm really excited about. And yeah, I get to preach this Sunday. I usually preach Thursday nights at SALT, so having a Sunday morning uh, was pretty exciting for me. Um, so yeah, Matt kind of put out the topic of maybe kind of going into the new year of walking through like reading your Bible and was kind of praying through like, what do you, like, what do I preach through here? Um, and a text that was kind of coming to mind that I was reading through was, was Hebrews 4. And so in Hebrews 4, we see the word in there a lot is, is rest. Um, if you, as you guys are flipping there, you might see it. The, the word rest, we're going to be in the first 13 verses. The word rest is used 10 times in that first 13 verses of Hebrews 4. And so, yeah, you kind of hear like Matt's like saying like, hey, read your Bible. And then you hear me talking rest. And I actually want to talk about how, how these two go together. Uh, how, how reading our Bible and, and, and the rest that we have in God, how, how they kind of intersect. Um, and so what we're going to see in this text is that we, we enter a rest in the Lord, and we also work out that rest. We enter rest, and we also work out that rest. Through Jesus, we enter rest in the Lord, and through his word, by the Holy Spirit, we, we work out that rest. Because I think a lot of us want rest. Right? And that word comes to mind, maybe, like, maybe a picture comes to mind when you think of the word rest, like a mattress overlooking like an ocean or a mountain or something. It's just like a, you're just like resting and you're just being. But, but there's something that you think of when you think of rest. Maybe it's having something. We all want rest. No one prefers chaos in their lives, right? And it's why we make the decisions that we do. It's why we do the things that we do. It's why that self-help books are top five in the any books that are sold in the world. I think last year, like $780 million is what people spent on self-help books, like how to navigate life, how to do life better, how to, how to fix myself up, because there's a lot going on, and I, I need to do something different, right? But, but the issue is that with self-help books, it starts at the wrong place. It starts with me. It starts with fixing, fixing me up so I can navigate the chaos better and maybe have more rest amidst that. Whereas what we're going to see in the text today is that rest actually starts in the Lord. That's where our rest starts and we work it out through his word and so I'm going to read these first 13 verses for us as we dive in today. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, also, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in the passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it re- remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David long afterwards in the words already quoted, today, 
If you hear his voice, voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of the soul and of the spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. So I was reading through that, right? We hear the word rest a lot. And so to kind of even start off, I want to talk about what is this rest in the Lord, this, this rest that the author of Hebrews is talking about. And kind of even want to contrast that with, with the world. Where does the world say rest is? Here's what the world says rest is. It's a mere ceasefire, right? It's, a, it's an absence of chaos. It's, it's nothing is going on. It's, it's actually a negative, meaning that something is taking away and now I get to have rest. That's the world's definition of rest. That's the only way you can have rest is, is when the chaos is taken away. So the only way that the world, apart from God, that we can cope, that we can have rest is coping mechanisms or with just the absence of chaos. That's the rest of the world. What is this rest in the Lord? Two times in this passage, the author references Psalm 95. In verse 3, he says, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. In verse 5 again, it says, They shall not enter my rest. So I'm actually going to go to Psalm 95 and kind of read a little bit of portion of that just to give some context of what's the, what's the author talking about here. So Psalm 95, starting in verse 6, it says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Mirabah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness. Take note of that part. When your father put me, fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." So, so what's he talking about here where he says that when the fathers put me to the test, what happened in the wilderness, he's, he's referencing the Israelites as they, they are brought back from Egypt. God brings them out of slavery, and, and he's, he's taking them to the promised land. And if you know the story in Numbers 13 and 14, they, they get to the promised land, they get kind of to the edge there, and, and what they do is they send some spies in to see what's going on, make sure it's the right land, see, see if it's actually what God promised them. It was. 
right? They get there, it's a land flowing of milk and honey, it's gorgeous, it's fruitful, it's, it's so good for planting and farming. There's one issue, though. One issue. There's some big people in that land. They say that. They're, they're big, and they are strong, and we can't conquer them. They're fearful, right? And, and so in that fear, what they do is they don't trust God's promise in that and go ahead and step into that land. What they do is they complain to God. They say, you should have just left us in Egypt rather than getting us killed here. You're going to bring us through all of that to have us killed here? They say no, and they, they put the Lord to the test, and then what does he say? They will not enter my rest. They will not enter my rest, and they go on to be in the wilderness for another 40 years or so because of that, until that generation dies off. And then Joshua, Joshua was one of the spies that went, and Joshua saw the land. It was pretty. He liked it. He saw the inhabitants, but he believed God's promise. He says, no, we need to go into this land, but Israel didn't want to. So he, he wonders within, at the end of that, he enters the land. He, he takes Israel in as their leader. But, but what you notice in Psalm 95 here is this is, David's writing this after they've entered the promised land. They, they've entered the land of Canaan now. They, they have, have what God promised them. They have this material possession of the land. But you see David writing, he's still telling them to enter God's rest. What's that saying? See, why if they, if they got the promise, if, if they got what God had told them, why are they still called to enter the rest of God? It's because it's not merely a material rest. Right? That's why David is still calling them into it, because the rest of God, the rest that God offers us is not material, it's not just circumstantial, it's in him. It's in him. And that's why when you look at the word rest, we can look at other places where it's used in the Bible. In Genesis 2, 2, after God creates the heavens and the earth, on the seventh day, what does it say? It says he rested. It says that he rested. And it's not the world's definition of rest. Again, it's this, this absence, this, this inactivity. It's actually a rest of activity because God is resting, but he's continuing to uphold his creation. We see that in, in Colossians 1 where it's talking about Jesus. It says he upholds creation. He holds all things together. All things are held together through him. So God didn't just create and let go. God creates and upholds, holds together and his rest is a delight in his creation. His rest is a delight in redeeming his people. His, that, that's his, his rest, is that delight and that joy in his creation that he has now created over the past six days. In the seventh, he rests and he enjoys that. And that's the rest that God calls us into. Not this material thing. Not the, not the land of, of milk and honey, but just a rest in him. Uh, the Sabbath rest of the Lord. That's the rest of God. 
And the question is, why don't some enter that rest? Right? Like, why, why do you have to be told to enter that rest? That's what you see here. It says, don't fall to disobedience. Strive to enter that rest. David in the psalm is telling them to enter that rest. It, it's, he's, he's telling them, why, why do you have to be told? So here is why some do not enter the rest. Verse 2 of Hebrews 4. It says, For the good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. See, you see down here, you see he's referencing Joshua. He references it in verse 8 with Joshua, right? With the Israelites. It says the message they heard did not benefit them. The, the rest of the Israelites heard the exact same promise that Joshua had heard. That you will enter the promised land. You will conquer your enemies. Right? They heard that. They heard the voice of God. They heard the word of God. But they did not believe the word of God. Therefore, it did not benefit them. It did not benefit them because they didn't have faith in what God had said. They were not united by faith with Joshua and Caleb who were like, let's go in. We can do this. We've got God. No, they were not united in faith. They didn't have faith. God's word, God's voice didn't have authority in their life. It had authority up to the point of comfort, right? Like they were all right with getting pulled out of Egypt, all all right with making their way to the promised land. But then when it gets hard... When God tells you, no, I want you to enter this and you're going to conquer, there's going to be toil, but you get to enter my rest in that. That's to the point where they lose their faith in God, in his word, because God's word didn't actually have authority in their life. It's the same today. It's why you can sit in a room with 75 to 100 people And you're going to have different people walking away from today's sermon in different ways. You're going to have some people walking in here today hearing God's word and saying, no, I want that to be my authority, and I'm going to just continue to turn towards that and be molded by that. And you're going to have other people that hear God's word and nothing. Nothing happens when you walk out of this auditorium because it's not united with faith and it has no authority in your life. That's why you can have a room this full. That's why you can have 75 people hearing the same word. You can have 75 people reading the same word in so many different responses. Because it's not united with faith of, of sitting under the authority of the word of God. See, entering God's rest means being under the authority of his word and his voice in your life. The Israelites didn't have that. They didn't didn't trust that authority in their life. Therefore, he swore, you will not enter my rest. And if you're in here today and you claim to be a Christian, but there is no intention to follow the word of God, if this has zero authority in your life, I love you too much to not tell you you're not a Christian. You don't follow Jesus. You don't follow the word of God. To be a Christian means to come under the authority 
of the word of God and follow God. You can't merely just identify and just tag it on. I'm a Christian, but there's, there's nothing else really that I do with it. Right? And it's this cycle of, of proclaiming you're Christian, but not really experiencing the fruit and joy of coming under the commandment of God. And you continue to identify as this, and you believe you are this. And you stay in that cycle not realizing something needs to change. It's the idea of like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, you don't realize there's something broke. When we're, when we're not following the word of God, and what's broke there is, again, entering God's rest means living under the authority of his word. And there's joy in that. In John 15, 10, Jesus says, Follow my commandments as I follow the commandments of the Father. And this I say to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Like, follow my commandments, follow my law, follow this book, and my joy will be imparted in you. But we miss out on that joy when we don't actually come under the word of God. And then we're all confused where it's like, I'm a Christian and I'm, I'm following I'm trying to follow, but I'm not about, and then fall off the map because you merely try to tag on Christianity as an ID, but but not actually following Jesus and sitting under his word. And, And don't hear me wrong, we are not called to perfection. We are not called to perfection in entering the rest of God. That's, that's not what it says, and that would actually be contrary to the gospel, contrary to what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying in verse 16 of chapter 4 here, he says, Let us with confidence draw near the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He's saying we draw near in confidence because Jesus lived perfectly for us. And through Jesus, we, we draw near to the throne. We enter that rest of God in confidence. Understanding God, God wants us there. God delights in us. God delights in his creation. God delights in us. God delights in every single person in this room. And he wants you to enter that rest confidently through Jesus. Because again, we're not called to perfection. We're called to not harden our hearts. In verse 7, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In Acts 2.37, you see Peter preaching at Pentecost, and he's preaching the word of God. And the people there, what they say is, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Like, they hear God's word, and they're like, what do we do? Like, this is hurting, like, it's cutting my heart. What do I do? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they are cut to the heart, and Peter tells them to repent and be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And the receiving of the Holy Spirit and sitting under God's word is how we work out our rest. 
It's how we work out our rest. Because we should be able to look back and see the grace of God in our lives. That's where you can, you can kind of see, like, have I truly entered the rest of God? If you look back five years and there is no spot in your life where this Bible has authority and has spoken to how you're living, in love, I would want you to ask, have I truly entered that rest? Is this truly my authority? Am I truly following Jesus or am I following my own desires and just tagging on Christianity to my identification? As Christians, as Christ followers, when the Holy Spirit enters us, we should be able to look back and see the grace of God in our lives slowly transforming us. Where there, where there were spots where we had desires and we, we had things that we loved and we had sin that we really loved and sin that we were walking in. It's like, praise God, I don't walk in that anymore. But it's by the grace of God. We should be able to look back and see the grace of God in our lives and where we have chosen to listen to Scripture, to listen to God's Word. And it's done work in us and we have freedom and there's joy in that. That's, that's what Christianity is, is, is working that out, working out that rest. And, and in that working out, it, it matters how we approach Scripture. It, it, it matters how we approach Scripture, and there's, there's a little bit of a mind sh- mindset shift from the Bible is, is merely an instruction manual to the Bible is meant to mold me in the more the image of Christ. Matt, uh, we had uh, this uh, discipleship thing that we were putting out with our students, and there was a quote in there that was really helpful for this, I think, um, that I'm hoping can go up here. Uh, it says, the goal of Scripture is to reveal our hearts and transform us into Christ-likeness. I'm not done with the sermon, I promise. I'm just... That'd be awkward if I just walked away, right? Amen. No. Um, the goal of Scripture is to reveal our hearts and transform us into Christ-likeness. This is a big old instruction manual. This is my wife's physical therapy books that she studied for her boards. Like it instructed her on how to pass the test. There's, yeah, things in here on how to be a better physical therapist, basically an instruction manual for physical therapy, an instruction manual on how to pass your, your boards. It's a big old book. What's the difference here? What's, what's the difference? They're both pretty wordy books. They're big. There's a lot going on in them, confusing stuff. They both fix broken people. Physical therapy joke. Uh, right, wait, what's the difference between these two? See, one is merely an instruction manual to test better how to be a better physical therapist, but that is not what the Word of God is. The Word of God is not merely an instruction manual for our lives on how to be a better Christian, on, on how to pass the test of Christianity. The Word of God is meant to transform us and mold us more into Christ-likeness. That, that's what God's Word 
is meant to do in our lives. In verse 12, where it says, For the word of God is living and active, is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is a sword that is meant to dissect and mold you and shape you more into the image of God. And again, it depends how we, how we approach it. How do we approach it? Do we approach it almost like putty or like, like clay where it's like, God, just mold me today? Or do we, do we approach it like a, like a knight in shining armor, right? Where it's like, yeah, this is not going to pierce, but you can direct me. Tell me where to go. I'll be your servant. I'll follow the rules. I'll tell you what, me to, what you want me to do. Tell me what you want me to do, but I'm not going to let you mold me, actually. Just direct me. That's all I'm really asking for. All right, what's our, what's our disposition when we're approaching reading the Word of God? Is it humbly coming before understanding what we're reading is the Word of God? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's profitable, and it's good, and we can learn from it. And are we genuinely approaching this as God's words to us as his people and, and letting it mold us. And I think kind of a way is like asking yourself, when, when you're reading the Bible, what like characters are you putting yourself in in the story? Like if you're reading David and, and Goliath, for instance, like how often are we David when we read that story, right? It's like I'm the brave one, stepping in, getting the stone, killing the giant, cutting the head off. Like, God, just come alongside me in that. Like, I'm, I'm the character there, and I need your help, which is not bad to ask for God's help, but, but how often are we Saul when we read that? Saul, the scared commander hiding behind enemy lines that does not want to go approach the giant. How often is that us, and how often are we coming to Scripture saying, God, I am Saul, and I am fearful, and I want to be molded more into your image. I just want to walk more where you'd have me just faithfully. What's your disposition as you're approaching the word of God? Ephesians 5, to 24, it says, Put off the old self which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, we're called to put off the old self, put off the flesh. As we walk it, as we abide in Christ, as we rest in Christ, we're, we're called to continually put that off. And, and how do we do that? We let this sword dissect and cut the old man away. Let it cut the old man away because the old man does not want us to experience the joy of Christ. The flesh does not want us to experience the joy of Christ. The flesh says, I know what's best. I'm going to go this way and this way and this way. Not really where God would have me because that's probably not the best way. And I don't actually trust that in faith. The old man needs to be slain. And how do we do that? By the word of God through his Holy Spirit working in our hearts. But it means approaching the word of God as such. God, mold me. 
kill the old man, prayerfully, humbling, approaching scripture, saying, kill the old man, kill these prideful desires that come up, kill these things, I plead, God, because I want to be more like you. Because the more we align with God, the more we align with his desires. The more we delight in what he delights in, the more we, we become like Jesus, the more we enjoy what Jesus enjoys, the more we experience the joy of God and experience his rest even more. That's why it's like you enter the rest and then you work that out. That's, that's the working out part is being aligned with God. Being aligned with God. So as we conclude here and, and head into the new year, how can we go into the new year humbly approaching Scripture? I think the first one is asking the question, have I genuinely entered the rest of God through what Jesus has done for me? Like, like is the Word of God, does it actually have authority in my life? Like asking yourself that. And if you look back and it's like there are no instances where this has spoken, aside from maybe helping you navigate an argument with your parents or your friends or something, if there's no instance where this is spoken in and molded asking, oh God, I want to enter that rest through Jesus, not through my own perfection, through Jesus, repent and turn towards God. If you have entered that rest, humbly approaching scripture, to be molded more into God's image and aligned more with God's desires. And that takes some planning, right? Our natural disposition is not to be super productive for our own spiritual health. That's just not, it's, it doesn't just come easy. It doesn't just come natural. And so a lot of times we can confuse like legalism with just like discipline in the Lord. Where it's like, I, I don't know if I want to, plan a time that just sounds kind of legalistic, right? And like, I, it's like, no, I want to be disciplined because I want to be more like Jesus. So I want to be disciplined, therefore I'm going to set a time and a place, and I'm going to consistently meet God there daily because he is my daily bread and I need him. My goodness, I need him. So it's having a time and a place and a plan. And that's why we gave these out. And this isn't the end-all, be-all plan. It's just we just want you guys to have something. And there's, there's tons of plans online if you want to go faster or slower. But it's like having some type of plan because, again, our natural disposition is to not be for our own spiritual health. And therefore, we're going to find every reason and excuse to miss our Bible reading that day. Or, or miss prayer and time with God. We will find every reason and then you feel guilty and you get down yourself. Like no, just consistently meeting with God and having a plan is a lot, times, a lot of times helpful for that. And scheduling a time for that. So may we just be people that are humbly approaching scripture this year. Letting it mold us. Letting it transform us into Christ-likeness. May we enter that rest and work out what that rest in the Lord looks like. I'm going to pray for us. 
God, I just praise you um, that you send Jesus, like you say in that passage, the perfect high priest for us, Lord, to sacrifice once and for all. And, and because of that, we can boldly approach your throne, not because of anything we do, Lord, just because our faith in you and our faith in your word that you declare us righteous, and, and with that, we just want to love you and walk in your commandments, walk in your word, Lord. I thank you that you've given us this word that thousands of years later, later just continues to be alive and active and speaking and shaping and molding, Lord. We'll never grow old. I pray that there's hearts in here today they are kind of on the fence with this Christian thing, or kind of on the fence with letting you be the authority in the life, Lord, that they would truly just take those steps for you to be the authority, put true faith in you, and that you would just show them the joy in that. Lord, truly, that is where our joy lies, is to be where our creator is. Thank you for your word. Let us just continue to humbly approach it, Lord. Just be molded by it. Pray all this in your holy, holy name. Amen.